0: Good morning, everyone. You'll have to forgive me because I'm at the tail end of a cold given to me by the wonderful campers out at Winter Retreat. And so, I already told Chris he'll have to douse the microphone in hand sanitizer after this, but please forgive me if I sound a little gross. Hopefully, my words do not reflect my voice this morning. But I do thank you for this opportunity, and for all those who are here, I also want to mention that we might have some who uh, are remaining from the memorial uh, for Joe um, on Saturday, uh, a wonderful woman, and so if you're you're here because of that, uh, we welcome you, and we're, we're glad you're here. We're starting a new sermon series, actually a series of series that will lead up to Easter, and the next few lessons will be focusing on the life of God. Um, Chris has called this image, and we're looking at the face of God revealed in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be looking at a few different ways in which Jesus reflects the image of God. And we've, we've picked, in, or Chris has picked and choose, chosen some of these things uh, on his own. And so, of course, there's lots of areas we could talk about. But the few that um, we have in store for you, I think, are really important. So I want to start off uh, with a, with an image. Um, if I were to describe to you a place that I love, it's called Interlaken, Switzerland, I would talk about its mountains, about its beautiful valley, the, the very quaint town in between two lakes. That's what Interlaken means, between these two lakes. And I could describe it to you in words, but... Isn't it true that the picture is a lot better than just the words? Now, also, you could just look at a picture of Interlaken and that will give you an idea of what the place is like. And in this picture, you can't even see so where the black part comes down, there's these two like finger-shaped lakes that come together and there's a valley and there's these mountains. It it truly is breathtaking, breathtaking. You could look at it and see that Or you could talk to someone who's been there. Um, This is me at the top of Harder which is this um, mountaintop area above the town. You can see the Alps in the background. So by seeing a picture, you get an idea of um, seeing this image, you get an idea. By talking with someone who's been there, you get maybe even a little better idea. But really, the best way to know what interlocking is like, is to go there and to be present there and to experience it. Now, I could talk about it for a while. Uh, That's not what we're here for this morning. But I think if I did, um, you'd really get excited about traveling and going to this place. And wouldn't you want to go there and be there and experience it? And I want you to keep that idea in mind as we talk about Jesus being the image of God. One of the most beautiful things about the incarnation, this idea that God has become flesh in Jesus Christ, he's become human, is that we get a clearer picture of who God is, a clearer image of his character and his values. And we can see that described in in Hebrews chapter 1. This is how Hebrews begins. In the past... God spoke to our ancestors. You know, he talked to people and and you could talk to them, but he didn't talk to you. At many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by a Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things. By his powerful word, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. So, right there, you get this beautiful picture painted for you. But we're told that Jesus, the Son, is the radiance of God's glory, an exact representation of His being. So, we can see that through Jesus, we get a clear image of who God is. He revealed God to us in many ways. And by understanding Jesus and looking at his life, we can have a clearer idea of what it means for God to love, for God to know, for God to serve, and for us to do those things as as well. And while we do gain a clearer image of who God is in the person of Jesus Christ, perhaps the most wonderful thing about the incarnation is that God in Christ is present with us. Here in Hebrews, it talks about long ago, God spoke through prophets. And we see this progression in scripture of God drawing people closer and closer to him. Um, and we're promised that as well. In Matthew twenty uh, one twenty three, um, Matthew's quoting from Isaiah here, talking about the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel. And as John pointed out, this means God with us. We're also told about this in John chapter 1. The word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this idea that Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us, this harkens back to this imagery of the tabernacle. It literally says that he tabernacled He pitched his tent among us. And so we can see that in Jesus, God's presence comes and dwells with the people. And he wasn't there just to accomplish a goal. God's presence isn't just goal-oriented. It's there to be with people, to be present with people so that he could save them. So how does Jesus know, love, and serve people if we're trying to grow into the image of Jesus and we want to think about how Jesus knows, loves, and serves people? One way that I think we can really learn from Jesus is by noticing how he is present, how he embodies the presence of God with people through his attentiveness, through the way in which he interacts with people. And so this morning, something I want us to see it's kind of twofold. First is God's presence with us as Christians, as people who um, have the Holy Spirit dwelling in, with us and in us, and then how we share God's presence with others when we are present with them. There's this really great quote by Max Lucado that talks about God's presence, and I, I, I really like it. We Christians are always in the presence of God. There's never a non-sacred moment. His presence never diminishes, but our awareness of his presence may falter. The reality of his presence never changes. And I I think that is so true that we often um, forget that God is present with us. And it's really just our awareness that is lacking, not God's presence that is lacking. And so with that in mind, if Jesus is God with us, then whenever Jesus sat with someone, they were in the presence of God. They maybe just weren't aware of it, and they often weren't. And I think we often strive for for God's presence, even though we, um, what we're not truly lacking is his presence. We're just lacking our own awareness of it. And I think a lot of times we, we tend to connect uh, the presence of God with our own circumstances, right? So if, if life is going great, then yeah, it's easy to see God's hand at work in my life and that God is with me. When life's not going too great, it's where are you, God? You know, why aren't you here helping me? You know, what's going on? We often connect our, that awareness of God's presence with our circumstances instead of recognizing that God is with us. So likewise, Jesus knew that in order for people to experience or to become aware of God's presence among them, that he needed to be present with them, that he needed to be attentive to their needs, to be fully with them, to have an undivided mind without distraction. And so I think another beautiful thing we see in the incarnation of Jesus, in the way in which he interacts with people, is his ability to be present with them so that they might become aware of God's presence. And I think there's a really good lesson for us to learn in that as we think about the people we encounter around us every day. And I want to look at one story in particular um, and then reference a few others. So the woman at the well, you might have been wondering, why is, uh, why is this passage being read if we're talking about uh, the presence of God? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, again, I think in the story of the woman at the well, we can learn a lot of things. But one thing we can really pick up on is how Jesus is present with this woman. So keep that story open in front of you. John chapter 4, if you will. So, um, you've probably heard this before, you know, we have a woman who, we it, when we kind of read between the lines, we get the sense that she's an outcast uh, in her city, among her people group. And we get that sense because she's going to draw water from a well around noon. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been to the uh, you know area of Israel or the Middle East, but it is pretty stinking hot at noon. And that's not really the best time to go walk a couple miles or whatever it would be, draw water, and then carry it this heavy container of water back or whatever. Most people did it, most women did it in the morning when it was cool still. And so we get the sense that this woman is an outcast and so she's trying to go draw water at a time where she knows she's not going to encounter anyone. Although, that's exactly the time that Jesus, being a little tired, sits down at this well. And so this woman comes up, and he begins to speak with her. And he asks her, will you, will you draw me some water? And right away, she is um, curious as to why this Jewish man would be speaking to her, a Samaritan woman. And this sparks a conversation. So right off the bat, one thing that we see Jesus doing, and I mean, Jesus knows where he is. He knows that most likely this woman is a Samaritan. And he knows the rules, the social rules, right? That, and this is exactly what she's referencing. Jewish men don't talk or associate with Samaritan women. But Jesus did not allow that social barrier to get in the way. He breaks it down and um, he starts this conversation with her and he uses it to turn the conversation towards what she needs and that is living water that is salvation that is Jesus and uh, through his own divine insight he's able to tell her that you know she's had these five husbands and the guy she's with right now isn't even she's not even married to which is probably explains the social outcast part. And so through all this, he steers her towards God's presence. Because, um, and if it's not clear enough, right um, near the end of the conversation, after he's kind of revealed um, some aspects of her life, and they've had this discussion about worship, which she's trying to steer the conversation away from herself, the woman said, this is in verse 25, I know, that, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus then declared to her, I am, or it says, I, the one who is speaking to you, I am he. Not the greatest translation, because what he's really saying there is, I am. And that's a pretty powerful phrase in the Bible, one often used by God to explain who he is. I am period. That's enough. That's all you need to know. Jesus is really making a reference to th- who he is that he is God in the flesh. And so when that when he says that, you know, she her eyes are open. She knows and she knows that she's been heard. And so While we can talk a lot about um, social barriers, we can talk a lot about worship and those kind of things, I really hope that you see through this story that Jesus is attentive to this woman. He is present with her and he makes sure that through his ability to converse with her and be fully present with her, that he directs her towards the presence of God, towards this living water. And this isn't the only time. Jesus does this all over the place. And here are just five quick examples. I was going to go into more depth, but I figured one story is enough. But just so you know, he does this a lot. The sinful woman in Luke 7. One of the things I love most about this story is that it specifically says that this woman who comes into this Pharisee's house and she's just losing it. In confession to Jesus and and this forgiveness, Jesus turns towards the woman. It says that in the text. He turns away from Simon towards the woman and then he talks to Simon and he puts all of his attention on this woman. There's the mourning widow um, who has just lost her son also in Luke 7 and Jesus notices that there's this funeral procession. Um, He's moved with compassion and he goes And he heals, he hears the cries of this woman, and he goes out of his way to go and to heal her son. Bartimaeus, he's uh, in Mark 10, he's, he's in the crowd. Jesus is walking through. He's shouting, son of David, have mercy on me. And people are shushing him. No, leave him alone. But he won't stop. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus goes to him. He directs his attention towards him, and he heals him. He goes out of his way. I think about the children in Matthew 19 and and elsewhere where the children are wanting to go to Jesus and other people are saying, no, 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 leave him alone. He's too important for you. And Jesus says, no, bring them to me. Don't let anyone get in the way of bringing children to me. And he gives them his presence. I also think about Peter in John 21. Peter and Jesus had a, a very close relationship. And after Peter had denied him, And he hasn't seen Jesus really yet. Um, They have this amazing experience on the beach where Jesus um, reinstates Peter. and, And he lets Peter know, I forgive you. I'm empowering you. Go and feed my sheep. So he's doing this all over the place. He's giving people his presence so that they might experience the presence of God. And so this morning, I want us to think through a few questions but one in particular I want us to think through is ask the people of God how can we be the presence of or bring the presence of God into the lives of others that's part of our mission right to go out and to help people experience the presence of God how can we bring that to them and I think we can do it the same way Jesus did when we're aware of God's presence in us and we are attentive or present with others Jesus sat with people, he shared a meal, he associated with them, people who were outcasts. He was physically present. Jesus sought out people to comfort, to heal, to teach, and those who sought him out, he welcomed. Jesus showed others value by acknowledging them, by listening to them. <clears throat> Jesus did not allow social barriers, personal agendas, or other distractions to keep him from being with people. And so the second question I want us to think through this morning is what does keep us from being present with people? What barriers do you have in your life which keep you from the awareness of God's presence or the ability to be present, to be of singular mind with the person sitting across from you? Because I think, really, our barriers that keep us from noticing awareness of God's presence are the same that keep us from being present with other people. And we can make a list. Um, Chris and I were talking about this, and I think this is a very good um, example <laughs> of kind of a modern day, what it, what it can look like. <clears throat> but how, do you guys know what AirPods are? maybe everyone under under 50 perhaps no i'm just joking i don't want to make those jokes airpods they're the the new thing where they're these little, little um, earphones that just go in like this part of your ear and so they're like wired headphones are you know you can see the wire but airpods are just like right here and kids get away with having the airpods in in class But, you know, I won't go there either. But to me, when I see someone wearing AirPods and just, like, walking down the street, to me, that automatically gives off the signal, do not talk to me. I'm listening to music. I'm in my own little world. Leave me alone. And that's true, really, for, for any earbuds or whatever. But that just came to mind. I think our phones, our phones, again, you know, you see someone sitting at a coffee shop and they're on their phone, don't talk to me, you know, just let me be in my own little world, leave me alone, let me drink my coffee. Um, And we could rag on technology for a while, but I I think technology can be helpful too. Um, Our schedules, our schedules are a barrier to being present with people because it's either not worth my time or I'm always thinking about what's next. I get in trouble with this a lot because people are trying to have a conversation with me and all I'm thinking about is, oh, I've got to do this. This is the next thing on my list, my endless to-do list. You know, please end the conversation. Pick up on the social cues so I can get on with my life. I think sometimes we're too quick to interject. We're trying to fix people. People come and we're trying to be present, but we're too quick to make it about ourselves or fixing their problem. I think it can be judgmental attitudes. That's really probably one of the number one for for us Christians. Yes, we can be judgmental too. Um, we th- we're, we're thinking about our social status. If, I, if I'm meandering with these people over here, what is that going to say about who I am, my status? If I go to that bar and I'm trying to talk with people and other people see me there, what is that going to make me look like, my own reputation? Fear of what's different, I think, is a huge barrier to us being able to be present with people. And then also there's personal things, too. Like, I feel like I'm not good enough sometimes. I don't have the words to say. I can't do that. I can't be useful. Like the woman at the well, I, I, I think about her. Like, she she probably, before that conversation, she's probably like, I can't do this. I can't tell people about Jesus. But what did she do? You know, she was a social outcast, and within who knows, a 30-minute conversation, she's out telling the entire village about what had just happened to her. So I think we need to tear down these barriers. And I think if you are able to be honest with yourself, you know what those barriers are. Like, for example, we know the Bible and we're involved with church, but we don't seem to know sometimes how to engage with the people across the street from us or next to us, our neighbors we may know all about the bible and we may be good churchgoers, but we don't even know how to have a conversation with our neighbor anymore we say that we know god but maybe we only make time for him on sundays and wednesdays or when it's convenient and if we're not dwelling in the presence of god we don't have and we're not aware of that we're not going to have much to share with other people either we say that we want others to know Christ. You know, growing up, that I was told that. You need to tell your friends about Jesus. I was never taught, really, how to do that very well. We say we want others to know Christ, but we aren't willing to get to know them. Get to know them as a person so that we can share Christ with them. So, I think we need to be a little convicted sometimes of our own selfishness. I think we Need to be encouraged by what we see in Jesus. What we see him doing by being fully present with those who needed him. And I think we need to recognize that we are empowered to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We are not left to our own devices, our own talents. You know, Moses tries to use the excuse, you know, I'm not eloquent. And God says, who made your mouth? You know. Okay. Calm down, Kyle. Calm down. I think sometimes we need to be reminded of these things because ultimately it's about our love for other people, right? So how can we be present? I'm gonna I want to leave you with a few things. How can we be present, aware, and ready to respond? First of all, like I just mentioned, it starts with the heart. If your heart is not for the lost, your heart is not in the same place that Jesus Christ's is. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And so maybe we need to start with a little heart work. Make the first move. Don't be afraid to to make the to take the initiative. And that doesn't mean, you know, necessarily going around knocking on people's doors, "Hi, have you heard about Jesus Christ?" You know, that that could work. I'm not saying that doesn't work, but that's not necessarily what the first move looks like. It might be, "Hi, my name's Kyle. What's your name?" You know, I'd like to, like to get to know you like these people who are coming on Wednesday night to our meal. They don't, they don't go to church, but they're here. Get to know them. Look, listen, and learn. Be looking for opportunities. Listen before you speak and learn about these people. Get to know them um, as, you, as you share who you are and who Jesus is. Make yourself available. This goes down to the schedule thing. You know, sometimes we are just too busy to be present with people. Sometimes maybe even our own kids, which they're a part of this too. And then finally, lead with compassion, uh, as in initiate with compassion, and lead them to Jesus. So start with compassion, as opposed to judgment, perhaps. That There's a time and a place for that. But lead with compassion, and lead them to Jesus. <coughs> And I want just, to just close by reminding us that, you know, we started by talking about how Jesus is God with us, and we talked about God's presence. And let me just close with this. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I was just talking to my teens about this this morning. We often focus on the middle of this part, but I want you to focus especially on the end. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. We got that part. We know we're supposed to do that. But listen to this part. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We're promised right there at the end that Jesus will be with us. But that promise is given to us in the context of making disciples. Not just Because we're Christians, that Jesus is with us. But when we are making disciples, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So this morning, we are a group of people that believe in prayer and believe in supporting one another. If you are a person who needs prayer, or maybe you're a person who wants to learn more about um, this person named Jesus Christ... That's what we want to do here. So if there's a need from anyone, whether it be prayer or confession or, or anything like that, this is an opportunity where we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing together.